I tell you what, it brought tears to my eyes, both service, Brother Gower. I asked Brother Gower the first service if they would sing that at my funeral. That's a good one, isn't it? Now, I had to tell Clinton to remind his dad that we said that, though. Because Brother Gower's becoming a senior member of our society, and uh, he might need a little help remembering some of those things. How many know what I'm talking about? And all the seniors said, Amen. Amen. Closer to home. home. You know, that's what I thought of, Brother Ernie. Brother Ernie, what's your name again? Mike. We are getting closer to home. And to think about standing before Him, the one who died for us. And realizing probably in the first time of our lives what a great sacrifice it was. We only have an earthly comprehension of what He has done for us. But then face to face, we are going to have a heavenly comprehension. Because not only will we see Jesus, but we'll see the Father. And to understand the love that God has to send His Son to this world to be our Savior. Praise God for that. Now, that song has a lot of eschatology in it. You know what I mean by the word eschatology? The study of end times. Now, I'm not very good about end times. In fact, that's probably one of the weakest tools in my tool chest of doctrines. But we're going to be having a class this summer on prophecy. It's put out by Faith Bible Institute. Faith Bible Institute is one of the greatest things that we've done around here as far as understanding the Scriptures. It is a three-year course. meets on Monday nights for three hours. It has two semesters a year. It's uh, equivalent to my undergraduate Bible program. 36 hours of which I received in my undergraduate Bible program. This has 36 hours in it. Studies New Testament, Old Testament, and theology. It is fantastic. How many of you in here are in that program? All right. In the first service, there was several more. We have close to 20, 18 to 20, 15, 20, I don't know, someplace in there. It is a fantastic program. I would encourage you, if you would like to know more about Faith Bible, to take this prophecy course this summer. It's only going to go, I think, five weeks, three hours a night on Monday nights. And I I think there's a fee in charge. But by the way, uh, if you can't afford the fee, we'll pay the fee for you. And getting this degree or going into Faith Bible Institute is far cheaper than my four years of Bible college. Let me tell you that. We have a scholarship fund set up to help people to, to go on to study the Bible. Brother Coleman and his wife left their entire state to help people to learn the Bible. And I can't think that he would be greater honored than to help folks in this church to get a greater understanding. And so Pastor Nathan and I have decided that if people can't afford Faith Bible Institute, we'll take care of the fee. It's about $100 or thereabouts per semester, which, you know, six semesters, that's $600. Um, $600 buys you two credits at Bible college today. That's all it buys. And you can get 36 hours. It's amazing. And uh, to sit down and, you know, sometimes people get a little mixed up on their theology on the end times. And it is tough. It really is tough. But I would encourage all the amillennialist, postmillennialist, premillennialist, 
mid-millennialist, whatever, you all come and, and hear what's being said. I mean, it's going to be a concentrated program. And you might decide from that and say, you know what, I'd like to be a part of this. you got till two weeks to sign up for the summer, and then we'll be gearing up for the fall to start our next semester of Faith Bible Institute. I tell you, around here at Westside Baptist Church, the Word of God is premium. And in fact, our church, uh, when we talk about our hedgehog statement or what we, you know, a hedgehog statement is what you believe you can do the best and what you can afford. All right. I mean, there's a lot of things we can't afford, which we wish we could do. But our hedgehog statement is about excellency in the word of God. Excellency in the word. We want to get it right. Amen to that. Excellency in our worship. Amen to that? We want to get that right because it's about glorifying God and bringing praise to Him. It's not about my my foot tapping or my uh, head getting intellectual or whatever. It's about glorifying God in our worship. And the third thing is excellence in our witness. Excellence in our witness. You know, that's very, very important. We all ought to have a strong witness that people, when they see our lives, they see God. Because we are to be a reflection of Him. That is what bringing glory to the Lord is all about. And this is what we're studying. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Second Peter chapter 3. We want to bring glory to the Lord. If you do not have the handout that we've uh, given out uh, uh, just about every week now, but it's the same that we've had for about three months now. Uh, if you'll put that in your Bible. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Our, our ushers are, will help you with that, by the way. Brother Dean, thank you for your usher crew this morning. You never know when there might be an emergency in church. And our usher's crew this morning helped in an emergency situation. And uh, maybe you were coming in when the ambulance came here and took uh, Sheila uh, Shape to the hospital. And I thank the Lord for the medical crew that is around here that could help her until the advanced medical crew got here and all. But we can pray for Sheila. Why don't we just take a moment and pray for her right now. Father, as we uh, think about uh, the, uh, the things of our lives and, and, and what we are facing in eternity, it is, uh, and we're just so thankful that, Lord, that we can know for sure where we're going to spend eternity but, Lord, in the ailments and the struggles of our lives and on our journey, there are struggles that come. And I pray that your comfort and your grace would be a Sheila and give the doctors wisdom. And that, Father, that you'll have your blessed plans accomplished in this time. And we'll praise you for it. And give Dale uh, comfort as well, as I can't even imagine what's going on in his heart. And so just watch over them now in this special time. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we've had a lot of folks pass in the last few weeks in our church. And it is appointed and a man wants to die. You know, all of us have an appointment unto death. And last week, as I got into this section in Second Peter, and I, I kind of took a little rabbit trail, Brother Mike, and I, I really hadn't planned on doing that, just like I didn't plan on stopping where I am today. But God has His agenda, and I... I'm not always a patient man. How many know that? <laughs> you don't have to raise... You know, there are times to say amen. There's times to say, oh, pastor, you are very patient. Yeah, we understand pastor is not patient. And many things that I want to run ahead on and everything like that. And for whatever reason, he's slowing us down in this, this series on the glory of the Lord. I really believe he wants us to get it. 
I really believe he wants us to get it. We need to pay close attention. And as I went into Second Peter, I had not intended to divulge the aspects of chapter 1, verses 3 through 15. But God allowed us to go into that and to see as we are talking about the various things of, of, of God's glory, reflecting who God is, being like God. You've got to be born again. You've got to be in his family in order to reflect him. And Peter brings out here some aspects as we went into this, bringing glory to the Lord. We talked about our attitude and our attire and our ambitions and our attendance. And those are the verses and they're in your notes uh, that you have in front of you. We went into the appetites and the attention and the abilities and the appreciation. And that's what we dealt with last week is, is the appreciation. Uh, before services this morning, Lucas and Brandon... And I got together to pray. We had a little extra time. And you know, bless his heart, Brandon. You know, Brandon is such a blessing. Yes, he is. He's never prayed out loud before. And uh, as we, Lucas and I and, and Brandon, I don't know how many times, Lucas, you've prayed out loud. But Brandon was sitting there and going, well, I, I don't know if I can do this or not. And I said, well, it's just talking to God. Forget that we're even there. And Darlene Brandon brought such a precious prayer this morning. And he said, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And that's what we're getting into. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. My cup ought not to be half empty or half full. It ought to be running over and spewing out. And the excellency in our witness is that we're reflecting him. We're talking about how great our God is. We are saved. Now someday you're going to die. You're going to behold His face. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Do you know for sure where you're going to spend your There's only two choices. Heaven or hell, right? There's only those two choices. And listen, my friends, where do you get heaven? It's in the Bible. In that same Bible is where you get hell. Why in the world do preachers want to cut out hell? The warning and the danger and the reality of it is there. And do you know God speaks more about hell than he does heaven in his word? Because God's not willing that any should perish. And by the way, that's why he made it so simple. How many choices are there to go to heaven? One. Aren't you glad for that? Now, the older I get, the more I don't want to make all these choices. You go in the drugstore and here's all these deodorants. Am I going to try each one out to figure out which one's going to work or not? Do you know there are so many choices? I don't know about you, but the older I get, I'd rather someone else make the choice. I guess my wife can make the choice. No, that one's not working, honey. <laughs> I am so glad that God said there is one way to heaven. It's so simple that he says even a child can get it. How many ways are there to hell? Many. 
many ways to hell. The Bible says narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few that find it. He says, but broad is the way that leads to damnation. And many go that way. On that road to hell is being a Baptist. Right or wrong? On that way to hell is your religion, is your righteousness, is your works, is your giving. Whatever philanthropist activity you might be engaged in. And there are many people that are going that way, believing they're going to heaven because they believe they are good enough to stand before a holy God and say, I'm here. And God's going to say, depart from me, you cursed. I never knew you. Matthew chapter 7. You don't belong to be here. But, 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 the preacher said I should be there. My mom and dad said I should be there. God says, I sent my son to die on the cross so you could come here and you rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior. Depart. You don't belong here. The only way we'll belong in heaven is by faith accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. And he gives us that choice. Have you made the right choice? Is that clear? Absolutely. You know, we want to be clear around here at West High Baptist Church because I don't want to stand before God and says, You know what, preacher? You didn't preach it straight. God tells us to preach it straight. And my friend, if you're not certain of your eternal destiny, then just... Understand that Jesus died on the cross because you are a sinner, unworthy of heaven, and there's nothing good that you can bring to the Savior except to say, Oh God, be merciful and save me. I'm going to put my trust totally in Jesus, nothing else. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is God's word. And you know, I I keep coming back to this because the only truth that we can really understand is what's in the Bible. Because everything else can be imaginary truth, subjective truth. But God's word is true. It It has passed the test of time, hasn't it? And it has been around for a long time. Oh my, what a treasured, treasured book it is. Here in 2 Peter, as you got your Bibles there, chapter 1, and we got into this last time, and, and we talked about this, and, and Peter saying, man, to, to these born-again believers, he says, according as His divine power, He's given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God has given to us all things that pertains to life. All things that pertain to godliness, you, my friend, can live for the Lord. He's given that. That's what comes at salvation. That's a part of the gift. You see that? It's a part of the gift. Given means something that you didn't earn, but that you receive it. Given unto us. And then He's called us. Listen, He didn't just call us to salvation. He wants all men to be saved. But He has called us now to a life of godliness and a life that's going to bring Him glory and a life of virtue. And we need to understand that there is this 
this uh, this this idea now that Peter is expanding here. You've been saved. You've been given all these treasures that are, are to life and godliness. Now, he says, you've been called to this. How are you going to live the Christian life? And so often we think and we get confused thinking that living the Christian life is what gets us saved. And that's not the case. You get saved then you have the power to live the Christian life. And he tells you how to do that. He goes on and he says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promise. These promises of salvation. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. You've been, uh, you've been given this divine nature. Now you can take unto that divine nature. You've escaped the corruption that's in this world through lust. And then he says in verse 5. And besides this. Now, you might want to just write in there, besides this. What does that mean? He is saying there, in view, in view of what God has given to you. Giving all diligence, add to your faith. And then he goes on to virtue and all these things that are there. He's saying, all right, you've got, you've got salvation. You've been born again. Now, supplement that life. He's not saying the supplements is what saves you. He says, you've got it. Now, supplement your life and build your life and strengthen your life and mature your life. That's, by the way, why we have Faith Bible Institute. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have Sunday night. Boy, tonight, I'm excited about tonight. We're going to share with you the ongoing project of the Irving property that we're building over there. And we're going to have a inspiration. We're going to have some just some wonderful time. How God builds our life even in our projects. Amen to that. <laughs> oh. Wow. Grow your life. Wednesday night. Oh, I tell you, these things and personal devotions and uh, faith uh, 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 Bible pathways, uh, which is our devotional book that we give out here, and one-on-one discipleships mature our lives. You know, uh, David, uh, you know, you got saved not that long ago, about two years ago, three years ago, and and we got to sit down together and we got to have Bible study. And it begins to get into you and you get to learn more. And and pretty soon, instead of David saying, goo-goo-ga-ga, He's starting to understand greater things. Uh, Steve uh, Waterfield, uh, that was in our first service, he's the director of our Faith Bible Institute. And I said in Sunday school this morning, I said, you know, about two years ago, the Bible was on the shelf in your life. Isn't that right? He says, yeah. I says, now it's in your hands. He says, Pastor, it's in my heart. I says, Steve, would you ever want to go back? He said, Pastor, I can't go back. It's such a living, vibrant life. And I'm going to tell you something. So many Christians are missing out on that. You can be born again because of Jesus Christ. But you can be still saying goo goo gaga. We don't want people to continue to say goo goo gaga. But if they are saying goo goo gaga, let's get them to say whatever. You know, whatever else goes on in in our growth and our process. And and I'm not speaking in tongues there, but you, you, you understand what I'm saying. He says, in view of what God has given to you, supplement your life. Then you go down to verse 8 and he says, for if these things be in you, these supplements now. He's talking to born again believers. 
So the fact that they've been saved, now he's saying if you've supplemented your life, you're going to be abounding. These things be in you and they abound. In other words, they are, they're not, you're not just coming and doing the very minimum, but you're, you're getting involved in the things that are bringing riches to your life. He's saying that they will make you, that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I talked about this last week, how that in church, sometimes it is hard to sort out who are Christians and who are not Christians. Because sometimes, because of the chemistry of our church, we can begin to all look, smell, act, do the various things that's in church. And sometimes there's Christians who are not bearing fruit. There are times in our lives where we might not be bearing fruit. And in those times that we're not bearing fruit, he says, you know what? Sometimes it's hard to recognize. Now, truly, if you are bearing fruit, the Bible says, by their fruits, you shall know them. But sometimes that fruit bearing is not there. In 1 John was written that we might know that we have eternal life. He's saying these are some of the characteristics that should be a part of the new life. These are the qualities of your new family. The Spirit of God ought to be bearing witness with our spirit that we belong to Him. And so it's so important for me to encourage you to examine whether Jesus Christ is really inside. I don't want you to stand before God and say, well, Pastor Kaminsky said I'm saved. You ought to know that you know without a shadow of a doubt. He says, you'll not be barren nor unfruitful. And then I talked about our blueberry plant and how we have one blueberry bush that just is decided not to do anything. We're tempted to cut it down. And I told my wife one more year. I really don't think it's going to do anything. I don't, I don't think it likes us. But then we, we, Jane and I got into this discussion about those blueberry plants and other plants. Why do they bear fruit? Because he says here is if you do these things, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to have this abundant life. Why? Why in nature does that blueberry bush bring forth blueberries? What's that? It is what it is. Yeah. I can tell it's a blueberry bush rather than a strawberry bush. It identifies it. If it's pruned... If it's taken care of, if you put fertilizer on, if you water it, do you know God says, you know, there's so many things in nature that reflect who we are? Why else? What's the primary purpose of those blueberries? It's healthy, all right? When it's healthy, it bears better, doesn't it? Bear more blueberries? Why? Is the blueberry going to eat the blueberries? The blueberry bush is producing blueberries so that Steve can enjoy the blueberries. Right? And also so that that fruit can go somewhere else and impact somebody else. Let's give Steve a hand. Even a map maker can figure that out. Isn't that right? Do you understand that the fruit that the blueberry produces is not so that the blueberry bush can enjoy it. It's so that 
others can enjoy. That's how God created it. And so understand that here, you know, some people say, well, I want this fruit so I can have a better and a more abundant life. And I can, I can, I can, I can, I can. Do you know that's wrong? That's selfish. That's not what God intended. God intends for you to bear fruit so you can be a blessing to other people. And then that is how the blueberry bush reproduces itself. Maybe even the birds come and take that blueberry and they take it and then a blueberry plant might be planted someplace else. The seed, you know, they they talk about, uh, and you, Steve, I I might get this all wrong. You probably know a lot more about it than I do. But the, the conifer trees, that those cones are the fruit of the conifer tree, which is also the seed of that tree. And I've heard that in forest fires, I don't know if it's all conifer trees, or not, or just certain ones, that when a fire comes, that these uh, cones know how to close up and protect themselves so that even after the fire is over and they fall to the ground, they're able to reproduce even after a fire. Is that all conifer trees or certain ones? Certain ones. Isn't that something? Wow! Yeah, this rock exploded and some goo developed you and that kind of... Yeah, right. We have an amazing creation. And through creation, we see the power of God and we can understand the purpose of fruit is for reproduction and it's for others. And I'm thankful that we have some healthy blueberry bushes at our place. So... He says in verse 8 that the more you grow, the more productive and useful you are. It's not about me getting rich and all about no problems in my life. I'll never get sick or wealth wealth and claim it, which is sometimes being preached today, that if you serve God, you'll never have a problem. Have you ever studied history? (laughs) If you even studied the Bible, did Paul have any problems? A few. Probably one of the most godly disciples there were. Shipwrecked, thrown in prison, stoned, not knowing whether he was alive or dead, beaten so many times with a cat of nine tails. He says in verse 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind, and he cannot see afar off, and he hath forgotten that he hath been purged from his old sin. You are short-sighted, my friends, not living so that your life produces fruit for others to see. And then, you know that song that the uh, uh, ensemble sang. He says, you give diligence uh, to make sure that this fruit's in you. Verse 11 says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. Someday you are going to die. If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, heaven is a guarantee, Right? But he talks about here an abundant entrance. There's going to be some, when they die, yes, they're going to heaven because they've got Jesus Christ. But God's saying, I see the foundation, but what about what you built upon that? What about your life after you've gotten saved? What, are you, what have you done with your life? How come? And can you imagine the look of disappointment upon his faith? 
when you realize and the disappointment in your heart when you realize that you did not live for God? I'm not talking about getting into heaven. I'm talking about what we do after we're saved. And then for God to stand up and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's an abundant life. Welcome home, my child. Well done. Which would you rather hear? Is it real or not real? Somehow we've been lulled to sleep in this and we fail to realize the truth of, of all this. I'm glad I'm saved, but I'll tell you what, the longer I'm saved and the more I grow, the more I want to bring Him glory. And this is going to bring us now into a little meddling. Is that okay? You say, Preacher, I thought you already were meddling. No, I was preaching there. I'm going to meddle a little bit about your marriages. I'm going to meddle a little bit about society and how our society is going. Our society is going down the tubes of immorality in such fashion today that it is so disgusting. If it's disgusting to me, can you imagine a holy God in heaven? Let's talk about marriages and families. And by the way, as we talk about family, I don't want to forget this. Starting Wednesday, we're going to be starting, I think, a 10-week series on uh, parenting. I think it's in your bulletin. you got the... The insert in there. A couple of good inserts in the bulletin. We don't say a lot about our announcements. We really want you to take home the bulletin, look it over, post it on your refrigerator or whatever. But we're going to be starting this parenting on Wednesday. I wish that it was offered when I first had my first child rather than at the end of my fifth or sixth child that we had. We want parents to understand how to raise a godly heritage. And time's not going to let me get into it, but Brother Ernie, you picked a wonderful verse out in, in Psalm 78 this morning. I'll probably get into it next week. Maybe you can use the same verse next week. That was a great verse. Because my verses is 5 and 6. You did 1 through 4. Yeah. Except I just get too long-winded. I didn't get there this morning. I'm sorry. I was looking, I looked at Ernie. I said, Ernie, you picked out the verses that I'm talking on today. Raising our children, teaching our children. How important is that? Our kids are getting educated in the public schools and Hollywood and having a worldly concept of this world rather than a biblical worldview. And it is destroying the moral fibers of our country. Now here's what God says. Let's see, where are we there? There we are. Marriage is what? Honorable in all. Do we need to redefine marriage today? Oregon has a constitutional amendment that was voted in by the public of Republic of Oregon. And they won't even stand up, our legislatures, for the constitution of our state. Our Constitution says that a marriage is between one man and one woman. And by the way, where do we get that? Scriptures. Woe to the man who will alter what God says. In our Sunday school this morning, it was interesting. Uh, Brother Turner brought up the fact that when Israel went a-whoring after other gods and going their own ways and things like that, he says that God allowed the snakes to come in and to bite them. You all know, remember that story? And then he brought up this interesting point there. He said, do you think those snakes were there already? Probably. 
God created the snakes. But more than likely, God's hands were keeping back the danger that's around. And when God takes his hands off of a country because they've turned their back on God, woe to that country. The prophecies are there. And by the way, we are seeing God's judgment upon this country whether we realize it or not. And it's not based in the economy. It's based right here in men's minds. And what is taking place in our society with all the crimes and things that are going on and how many people are committing suicide now and how many people are, are aborting their babies. and how many, I'm going to tell you something. We are living in a society now that doesn't even realize that the hands of God's judgments upon them just because they think they've got a big bank account doesn't mean that it's well in their soul. Have you heard about some of these well-known movie stars that commit suicide? And suicide is growing. Why is it growing? Because man does not have the stability of a loving God in their lives. And you know, even Christians today are struggling because they have a worldview rather than a godly view. And we are missing out. God created marriage for one man and one woman. And it's sad that preachers won't get up and preach that anymore. You study the scriptures and you discover that, listen, and it's not just about marriage between one man and one woman, but he's talking about living together outside the bonds of marriage is just as wrong, right or wrong. Any sexual activity outside of a person coming together in holy matrimony. God says marriage is honorable in all and the bed's undefiled. But whoremongers, And adulterers, God will judge. Right or wrong? And you know what? Hollywood is portraying such ungodliness today that it is so despicable, but yet the average Christian doesn't see it as despicable because they've got desensitized. And let me tell you how that happens. We, Janie and I, will we'll try to find a good show to watch. And we'll get into that show and you'll get into the characters. And man, this is really enjoyable. There's no sex in there. There's no foul language. And then the next season comes around. How many have noticed when the next season comes around? And it's almost like bait and switch. How come they're throwing that into this wonderful family show? Because they're trying to ruin the moral fibers of this country. Last night, we just, I decided, oh, I was going to see about this other show, whether uh, it's going to be good or not and everything. And I started watching it. And as I was watching it, and, and this military guy was coming home, and, 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 and all of a sudden, his car is stolen. And in his car was this little baby. And, oh, my. And Janie and I were sitting there thinking, Wow. How? I mean, that happens. And we're getting into this old, the the, the hornets and the the police are coming and everything. And then this this other guy drives up. And as the other guy drives up, he goes over to the military man. And and he says, let me through to the officers. He says, that's my husband. Click. As if it's okay. It's 
not okay to the created design of what God intended. But yet we are being desensitized. And preachers want to become politically correct rather than saying, Thus saith the Lord. Well, preacher, that's not politically correct or that's not loving. Let me tell you something. If God says that His hands of judgment will be upon those who go out and sleep together, those people that have adulteries and affairs and things like that, He says His hands... Don't you think it's loving to warn people? You're an apparent, if you are a parent, wouldn't you tell your children, don't play in front or on the highway? Don't play on the front. Listen, it's dangerous to stand in front of a 65 uh, an hour moving vehicle. It's just dangerous. Or should we say, listen, we don't want to scar the creativity of our children. We're just going to let them do what they want to do. Can I say that many parenting skills today has degenerated to that? Thus saith the Lord. And God knows what's best. You know, the Bible talks about in our marriages and, and everything, and we see the, uh, the abomination, and it's not just in 2015. It goes all the way back to Genesis. After man sinned, man sinned in Genesis chapter 3, and in chapter 6, do you know what Genesis chapter 6 starts the dialogue about? He talks about the wickedness of man. And there in chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, It came to pass that the men uh, began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them. And the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were fair, and they looked upon them. They took them as wives, all to each other they chose. Verse 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Bible says that as it was in the, and who, who, what's, what's chapter six starting? Mike, you should know what's Genesis chapter six starting. Who is the main character that comes on the scene in Genesis chapter six? Noah. Noah. Do you remember why God raised up Noah? For this reason. The wickedness was so great upon the earth that God brought Noah to build an ark and he wiped out humanity because of their wickedness. And God says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. The Bible also talks about another person that in his, like it was in his days, it will be in the end times. And who was that? Noah was one of them. And who's the other one? Lot. Remember Lot? In Sodom and Gomorrah? The wickedness of how these men, and, and not only just men, but boys also, that came to, to Lot's house and wanted to have sexual relationship with who they thought were men, but they were angels from God. The wickedness and God brought fire and brimstone. Do you know the Bible? In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ says that had these people known, uh, had, had Sodom and Gomorrah known what these other people know, he would have been, he, what he's saying there, ah, I wish I could get it straight, you all have to look it up. But he's saying here, he says, listen, 
You guys have a greater understanding, a greater knowledge. And because you're going that direction, listen, he would have been merciful if Sodom and Gomorrah would have changed, but they didn't change. And now we know better and we see the word of God. We are a privileged generation to have the word of God. And yet we are not using the word of God. We're not preaching the word of God. We're not believing the word of God. Oh, my friends. This is so true. So true. I was in my devotions. I was reading in Judges chapter 19. I don't know if you know of another account, but uh, there was a, prophet, or a man that was traveling and he had his concubine with him. And, and uh, they came to this one city that was in Israel and they uh, were going to lodge there in the streets. And this older man says, he says, listen, don't lodge in the streets. It's kind of like my, my wife says to me today, don't leave the house without locking the doors. Have you ever come to understand that we have thieves around and we have things going on? And this man says, man, there's danger in the streets. You need to come stay with me. In verse 21, uh, verse 21, uh, uh, verse 22 says, And they were making their hearts merry in the, in the house. And behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, which means worthless, beset this house round about and beat at the door and spake to the master of the house and the old man saying, bring forth the men that came unto thine house that we may have sexual relationship with them. How many are familiar with that story? It's probably not as familiar as Sodom and Gomorrah. But the devastation that came to this city is just as real. You see, the man says, oh, no. And you know what they did? I mean, you talk about wicked, wicked. The imaginations of man, when they leave God out, it just continues to degenerate. What they did is they threw the man's concubine out there. And the Bible says that they abused her all night so that she died the next morning. Yeah, then he sent, cut her up and sent her out and says, man, this wickedness that's in here. Let me tell you something. It's a blight to a community. It's a blight to a country. And God is, yes, he is, he's up there in heaven. He sees all these things. And there are so many struggles that are going on. Your marriage is between man and woman. And we ought not to get involved in sexual promiscuousness. We ought not to get involved with pornography. You know, pornography is destroying the minds and destroying families and destroying marriages. And yet 80% of our young men today are involved in pornography. The devil does not want to see anybody succeed. And so he tries to tantalize them. He tries to get people to get ahead of the game. Only to find out that they're ruining the game and going to lose. They have discovered that pornography, like other addictions and drugs, puts hooks in your brains. Psychologists are finding this out. You know, the Bible says in James chapter 1... That when you are baited and lured, you know how that you go fishing and that baiting out there and you try to grab hold of it. What's inside that that worm? A hook. How much better is it for us to say, listen, God says, don't set your eyes upon a maiden in the wrong ways. God says to keep your eyes pure, keep your thoughts pure. He says, if you look upon a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. How much better is it to say, yes, I believe what God says. But many people don't listen. They don't follow what God says. And then they get hooked. I'm telling you, my friends, 
It's the most loving thing we can do to speak the truth and to share with people what God says. Because there's freedom in serving God. But the average Christian has lost sight of what God says in His Word. I want to encourage all of you young people here. You make a determination that you're going to stay pure until God brings that right person and you get married and then it's time. Do you know what the percentage is that people go to their marriage altar pure? 3%. 3%. How much better is it to say, you know, preacher said that, God's word says that, I need to follow what God says. And listen, you know, we've all messed up, haven't we, in times and done things. And aren't we glad for a merciful and gracious God? I was reading this morning in uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 12 and 13, I believe it is. I might be wrong on those chapters, but uh, it was about Rehoboam taking on the kingship of Israel. Solomon had messed up. By the way, how, how bad did he mess up? He had a thousand wives, 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's all messed up, isn't it? And by the way, he was judged for that. David messed up and he was judged for that. But we have a merciful God. And in fact, when Solomon says, listen, you've messed up such that you're worshiping other gods. He says, your kingdom is going to be split. He says, that for David's sake, I'm not going to split it while you're still alive. That's God's mercy. That's God's grace. But Rehoboam, his son, comes out and comes to the king. And uh, the people of Israel come down and they talk to him and says, listen, how are you going to treat us? And Rehoboam says, well, he says, I'm going to talk to my counselors. And he had the old men and the young men and he got different counsels. One says, be lenient. The other says, you make your finger stronger than your dad's thigh. And he used whips. We're going to use scorpions. And Rehoboam listened to the young men and he went out there and he says, I'm going to treat you like scorpions biting you. How well did that go over? Israel says enough of that. And there was a civil split. When Rehoboam sent his tax collectors to collect money from Israel, Israel had nothing to do with it and killed them. Rehoboam says, we're going to get together our soldiers and we're going to bring them in line. Interesting part of this story, George, which I saw for the first time in, in, uh, in studying this. Rehoboam amasses an army of 150,000 soldiers. And he's going to go to Israel and they're going to have a civil war. And a prophet comes with a word of God to Rehoboam. And the prophet comes to God, the prophet comes to Rehoboam and says, don't do it. Two things came from that. One... God's mercy and grace, even though Rehoboam had not listened to God, even though Rehoboam had messed up, God still wanted to help. That's mercy and grace. How many of you have messed up and God still comes and helps you out? Every hand ought to go up. Every one of us have messed up in some aspect of our lives. And so what I'm preaching is not a holier-than-thou mentality. Every one of us has a past. Story of a lady that came into church and 
as she came into the church, another lady came up to the pastor and says, that woman's got a past. The preacher looked at the woman. He says, you mean to tell me you don't have a past? Every one of us has a past. I am thankful for God's mercy and grace. And what's interesting in this story is that Rehoboam... Listen this time, Jerry. Can you imagine how many people could have been killed? 150,000 soldiers going out to battle. Rehoboam listened. Maybe he realized he had blown it. Maybe he realized he woke up to the fact that, listen, I made the wrong choices because I didn't listen to what God wanted. And so that civil war never took place. Thousands of lives were spared. That's God's mercy. And that's God's grace. But let me say this. The kingdom did not come back together. And so oftentimes the consequences of our past, there are consequences and you can't undo those consequences. But I want to encourage you, don't be paralyzed in your future by making the right choices in your future. Be committed to what God wants in your future. Ask Him to forgive you your past. You know, when I got saved, God forgave me of the penalty of my past, present, eternal sins. I've been forgiven. But when I mess up as His child, I come to Him and say, Oh God, forgive me. 1 John 1, 9 says, He is faithful And just forgive us. There can still be consequences. But I can establish the right relationship with my father. And my father can still work in my life no matter what's in our past. But this morning I want you to understand as we close this message. Our marriage is to bring glory to the Lord. When God says that a man should leave his father and, his, and a, ma, a girl should leave his, her parents and they come together, they're supposed to be what? They become what? One. It is a picture of the Trinity. God establishes the truths of His doctrines in pictures that we can understand today. When you and your wife or husband got married, it's a picture and it should reflect who God is. Can I say this, men? Can I have all of your attention? If you get that concept down, and I'm not just talking about men. I mean, ladies too, but, but men have this, the bigger problem with this, I think. Sometimes men think, well, my marriage is to bring me happiness and bring me all these things. No, your marriage is to bring glory to the Lord. And you don't have the luxury to be upset with your wife. In fact, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, lest you give place to the devil. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, if you don't dwell with your wife properly, your prayers are going to be hindered. Now get over your selfish, prideful, arrogant, whatever's going on in your life, and ask God to forgive you, and you be the husband that God wants you to be. You and I have got to understand, it's not about our selfish desires and whether I'm right and she's wrong or vice versa. It's about God's glory. Can we get that? Y'all looking at me, men? I'm serious. God wants us to bring Him glory in this relationship. Can you imagine when you said your wedding vows were better? For worse, for richer, 
for poor. You didn't, you didn't realize it was going to get that bad, did you? <laughs> you didn't realize it was going to be that poor. Hey, hey, preacher, I'm going to be faithful to my wife 364 days out of the year. Would that have been a good vow? Plan to be faithful 100% of the time. Get your eyes off of the internet whore, the paper concubines, and be satisfied with the wife of your youth and let her be the only affection. And if you're struggling with this, my friends, you need to deal with it properly or else it can drag you to prison. The prison in your soul and the failure in your marriage. Amen? I encourage you. Father, thank you so much that we can hear the truths of the Scriptures and, Lord, that we can put to heart what is so important for us today to follow and to, and to do that which is honorable in your sight. And, Lord, I pray that we will value, we'll have value of what you've given to us. It has restricted access. We should not be thrown away this as if it's of no value. It is the value that you've given to a man and a woman to bring forth together in holy matrimony. People have lost sight of that. That's why they don't even get married today. They've lost sight of God's plans. God, I pray that you'll help us. Help this church. Help our young people. Help our older folks too. All of us, Lord, to be honorable in your sight. For you see our downsetting and our uprising. We need to make some decisions. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want you to make some decisions. You men, ladies, whoever's here that is married right now, you might have a divorce in your past. You might have some things in fidelity in your past or whatever else. But I'm going to tell you, you can ask God to forgive you. It doesn't do away with the consequences of your past. But you can be committed from this day forward to live for Him. If you're engaged in the wrong kinds of things, why don't you say, hey, God, help me. And if, listen, my friends, if you find the addictions that are in your life that are taking a hook and you're not able to escape that, then you need to hold yourself accountable to your wife or to somebody else that you trust rather than just continue on thinking you can get over it. I love uh, one of the concepts of AA which says, I have no power in of myself. And to help with that accountability, with help with, with a dependence on God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But God wants us to come alongside each other and encourage each other. And you need to, my friends, escape those things that are dragging you down or holding you back. You might be saved, but things going on in your life that's not bringing glory to the Lord. You've got to ask yourself, men and ladies here today, whether your marriage is bringing glory to the Lord. It's about that you reflect who God is and that you love each other and that you demonstrate that. And you have a good relationship. You say, Pastor... I need to get some things right. Then do it. Just say, Lord, I see some things today that I've not seen before. Will you forgive me? And God says that as we cry out, He will forgive us. And I am thankful. And don't be shackled by your past. Press on. <clears throat> and if you're not saved this morning, why not get saved? Father, just help us now in these decisions. Let you have your way in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. 325, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, and I am the clay.
I don't know if it bothers you, but you know, our society has degenerated to such a place that our finances are more important than our morality. Does it bother you that our previous governor was deposed because of some of the things that he was doing and, and all that? You know, they talked about the ethics of it. What about the ethics of not being married living together? And does it not bother you that we have a governor who's bisexual now? You see, it, those things no longer trouble people. It's, it's all about this. And I'm going to tell you something. This isn't going to cut it. And God will hurt, that, hurt a, a, a state where it hurts the worst. Because we've given up our eyes upon who God is. The best thing that people can do is turn their eyes to the Lord. Let Him have His way. He's the potter. We're the clay. He made us. Let's stand together. Make the right decisions today. They're in your seats. If you want to visit after the service, please do so. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. Thank you, Father. Mold me and make me after thy you a question this morning. Does that message that I preach fit 2015? It does. Because it's God's Word. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But yet the average preacher will not get up and preach a message like I just preached. Is it hurting our country? It is. You know, in the end times, the Bible talks about the restraint being taken off. Can you imagine when the restraint is being taken off and God's Word is no longer the light? Next week, I'll be talking about our families and our children. In 2002, the Southern Baptists did a report on their young people. And do you know what they said? The percentage of their young people going away from God by the end of their freshman year in college? 88%. Because our young people are not getting the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you something. We need to get the Word of God. And our young people need to hear it. I hope you'll come back tonight also. Tonight we're going to have a glorious opportunity to, to just visit with our building project and talk about how good our God is. And then this week, the things are going on, signing up for the parenting class. There's other stuff in the bulletin. Man, there's so many things that are going on. I want to encourage you, if you want to take that prophecy class, you need to sign up before May 3rd or whatever the date is. Next Sunday is our 36th anniversary. Y'all got that? Next Sunday is a potluck around here. How many enjoy potlucks? Man, too much. There'll be no evening service next Sunday. So all that's in the bulletin. Take time to read it over. I've gone a little bit longer today, but that's all right, isn't it? I hope so. You're dismissed.